You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, hey, welcome to Banner Church. I'm excited you're here this morning. Uh, when you came in, did you guys see the pile of toys that we have out there? It's pretty cool, right? Oh, okay. Do you guys see the pile of toys we have out there? It's pretty cool, yeah? Oh, there we go. Yeah. We, we just love, honestly, the opportunity to have incredibly wobbly tables, but to reach our community uh, for the Lord and really to, to just seed into that. And so I just want to say thank you. We've had just some incredible people pour out generosity, and that event is getting here really, really fast, December 14th. So we're basically a month away, less than a month away from that. And so we got a couple more weeks to collect. Um, I know some people are waiting for Black Friday deals. My wife just went on, and Amazon does Black Friday deals right now, and we got this thing shipped to us. This was like 10 bucks. Um, because apparently Black Friday is now every day. Um, <laughs> but if you guys are looking for things, it's awesome. We had someone bring in like 10 bags of toys today. So we're really, really excited for this opportunity to love on our school, the fact that God has given us an open door uh, into the school. And, man, it's going to be good. Also, if you want to serve December 14th, and man, that's going to get here so fast. But it's going to be a blast. We're going to need people serving, loving on people, helping us keep it organized. Because if you put a 1,000 toys out and then a bunch of kids, like you need organization or else you have chaos. So, <coughs> true. Uh, but I'm excited you're here today because we're continuing our Exodus series together. We got two this week and one more week. Uh, we'll hit really the Exodus today, which is what you've all been waiting for. I know the book's called Exodus. So you thought the beginning was... Well, it's kind of all together, but uh, my wife and I were talking between services, and she mentioned this, and it is so important as we look at this series that what we're trying to see throughout all the scripture is the what's called the scarlet thread, and it's how everything is connected from the beginning. You can follow the scarlet thread, meaning uh, the, the promise of Jesus Christ all the way, and it's really amazing when you get uh, the perspective of scripture. Uh, do we have with us anybody who would consider themselves a Star Wars fan? Okay, okay. This, the, you were nervous. You were nervous to admit for some reason. Yeah, I know. The mo new movies are okay. Uh, but, um, okay, everyone shout out this is a Star Wars fan, your favorite number of Star Wars movie. Think about it, think about it, think about it. One, two, three, what is it? I didn't understand any of that. So my daughter, uh, we were watching TV, and um, the A New Hope came on, right? The first one to come out um, in, in the world ever to come out of Star Wars, right? And we're and it came on TV. My daughter says, what is this? And it was a beautiful question, and it just opened up all of these opportunities for her, right? I was like, oh, girl, you have no idea what you're asking. What is this? And so I, I was a little bit of a Star Wars nerd. I have a Star Wars tattoo somewhere on my body. Um, and uh, a second tattoo, tattoo I got, it made my mom cry. Um, no joke. Showed it to her in church just to make sure she didn't yell at me. Um, but I was a little bit of a Star Wars fan when I was younger. Um, and uh, I, I love the movie, so we just started watching them together. And once we watched the first one, or, you know, the first one that came out, then we had to watch all of them and kind of watch them in order, right? Because I think it's important to see how the whole thing happens, right? So we had to go back to the literal episode one and watch it all the way up till eight because nine's coming out. And I don't want to have her see nine and sit there the whole time and go, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Why are they doing that? Who's that? Right, I wanted her to kind of know so she could still ask me, but I could say, you already know who that is. The crazy thing is, get this, my daughter's favorite character 
in Star Wars. What do you think it might be? Someone guess. Jar Jar, 3CPO. Nope, it's flipping Darth Vader. <laughs> My daughter's favorite character in Star Wars is the mass murdering psychopath, <laughs> Darth Vader. And I try to like tell her, like, no, baby, like, there's Ray, like, that's like a character, right? You know, like, look at all the new series, there's all these women. She does not care. She likes Darth flipping Vader. She thinks the new guy, Kylo Ren or whatever, she thinks he's Darth Vader because she doesn't understand context. And so in her brain, Darth Vader is the best. I, I don't understand, you know, whatever, five-year-olds. Um, but we started watching the whole series because I wanted to know when we see movie nine what's happening, right? Because I don't want her just, like, to read the last page of a novel. Like, anyone do that? You just read the last page of a novel? Like, you're crazy. <laughs> Barbara. <laughs> see, Barbara, Barbara's like, I'm going to jump ahead. I want to know how this ends if I'm going to commit all my time to this. You know, I kind of respect that, actually. That's kind of smart. Maybe I shouldn't be wasting so much time. But I, but I think about it, you know, like, there's all these movie series, like, you know, Harry Potter. And I know Harry Potter was books before it's movies. Like, calm down, nerds. Um, but Harry Potter, right? Like, I, I've tr I try to watch these movies, but I only see, like, half of them. And I don't really care about the books of them. I love books, but just not those. So I'm, like, halfway through, like, who... Is this, and he turns into like a dog, and then he's like a snake or a wizard. Now he's bald, and now, I don't know. I'm just so lost 90% of the time, but I don't want to ask because I don't want to look dumb. Um, but so for my daughter, we started watching through, and she just, now that she's seen them all, she just can't wait. And I'm happy, too, because we got through the first three, which are atrocious. Like the first three Star Wars movies are awful. Have you watched them recently? They're awful. Jar Jar Binks, he's got to be the worst character in all of cinema. He's just annoying. The whole thing feels kind of racist. It feels weird, right? Am I the only one here that's watching it? Like, this is really uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> just shield your eyes. Let's watch something with, like, violence or something, right? <laughs> I don't want to watch Jar Jar Binks. But now that we've prepared for the ninth one, she's just so excited, right? She keeps asking me all the time, like, when are we going to see the ninth one? Because she wants to know how it ends. Because when you followed a story all along, you kind of want to know how it ends. Little does she know it's owned by Disney, so it's never going to end. It's going to outlive all of us. But don't tell her that yet. She's still a child. <laughs> but she's, like, waiting now like a kid at Christmas, right? There's this anticipation to know not only the whole story but how it ends. And I think there's something important about that. Because if she just watched one of them, it would be fascinating to her. But if she understands the whole context, it has meaning. Are you with me? Okay, if she, under, if she sees all of it and reads all of it, it makes sense how it all plays in. If you've never seen Star Wars, if you watch one and, and you like those kind of movies, you'd be like, oh, it's kind of interesting. But if you watch the whole thing, it would make sense if you read a whole book series or Lord of the Rings. I know those movies are like 12 and a half years long. But if you watch all of them, it makes more sense. And I think the same thing is true in Exodus, that Exodus ties us to something that makes way, 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 way more sense when you understand it as a collected story. And so my daughter is now waiting impatiently, like a kid for Christmas, for this ninth Star Wars movie, which I don't even know if I should show her. It seems a little above her in age, you know, if I'm being totally honest, but we're probably going to go see it. Um, and she's waiting impatiently, like this kid for Christmas, just, oh, just, I can't wait. I can't wait till this day. She's also waiting impatiently for Christmas. Um, she, it was her birthday last week, and she already is like, hey, when's Christmas? When's Christmas happening? I'm like, girl, it was literally your birthday like three days ago. Chill out. Uh, but that's what kids do. Is anyone else here, if you're going to be honest, you, you are currently impatiently waiting for Christmas? Or like you're waiting but not patiently? Amen. In fact, I don't know if you guys knew this. Real quick, this is a total side note. But Delaney's back from her honeymoon. 
our incredible kids director. Delaney's impatiently waiting for Christmas. Uh, we are impatiently waiting for Christmas. Uh, Katie and I put up our Christmas lights like two weeks ago. Like it dropped below 80, and I was like, eh, let's put them up. People are like, how could you? Like, I just didn't really care. Like, yeah, sure, put them up whenever. I'd leave them up all year, but I'm that kind of lazy. Like, <laughs> just, let's leave them up. They're just lights. Who cares, right? But we are, we're kind of impatiently uh, waiting for Christmas. But what I've noticed in uh, as I get older, is Christmas has transitioned. Anyone notice this? Because when I was a kid, Christmas was a day, and then you might do, like, another kind of Christmas event. Then Christmas became, like, a week, like, the whole week of Christmas you got to do stuff. Then Christmas became, like, all of December. Like, you got to do something all, it's like, hey, man, sorry, I can't come. It's Christmas month. Like, Christmas month? Like, Christmas is the day. Now Christmas is a season, Right? Christmas starts in October, and then we, then it breaks briefly for Thanksgiving, and then it jumps back into Christmas. But now I've noticed this new thing called the holiday season. Have you seen, have you noticed this as people? Holiday season starts at like 4th of July, and then ends somewhere past all of our lives. Right? <laughs> the holiday season is like literally, Happy Father's Day, Santa. And then Christmas, and then like July, January 1st, like nothing, right? We have made it such a huge deal that literally there is a diagnosable condition where people are getting depressed after Christmas. Because it's like since, I don't know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, something, it's like build up, build up, build up, Christmas train, Michael Buble, got to get your red cups, got to do whatever, right? <laughs> and it's like every little thing, build up, build up, build up, build up, build up, build up, this one day. And it was like, oh, I mean... We all hung out and had dinner at like 2.30, and then it's over, and it's like, what, what was the meaning of that? And I've noticed that as a culture more and more. It's like we're so impatiently waiting for this thing, for this moment, for this day. We're so desperate for meaning. We're so desperate for something, and yet it seems to be falling short. And that's not my opinion. That's science. Like, it is scientifically proven that people are getting diagnosed. There's statistical evidence people are getting diagnosed with depression the day after Christmas. Why is that? Why is a day with so many things? You got your Starbucks red cups, your, your slippers, you got, you know, people, you got all the events, you got the things, you got buble blasting in the background. I mean, I don't, but you might. And... <laughs> And things are going on, and yet somehow we're still so depressed. And it's because we make a lot of memories, but we struggle with meaning. And, and, and we wonder, okay, why is it such a big deal? Now, the classic church answer to why Christmas is such a big deal is Jesus. Right? Like, if we used to tell kids in kids' church, like, you know, if you're not sure, just say Jesus. It's always a good answer in kids' church. But why is Christmas such a big deal? Obviously, the answer is Jesus, but I, I think it's even more than that. Because if the answer was just simply Jesus, then we would just say Easter should be the big deal, right? Easter is when he rose from the grave. That's like the big day. But it's not just a big deal because, okay, we celebrate baby Jesus and little baby Jesus. It's a big deal because of how it plays into the entire story of Scripture. This is important. Christmas is important because as you understand Exodus, as you understand the Passover, as you understand the promise, you begin to understand how Christmas fulfills the promise and how Easter fulfills what was done on Christmas. See, there's a continuity. The Bible isn't just like random thoughts that God is winging it throughout history. 
The Bible is a scarlet thread that goes all throughout that from the beginning, from the very first sin, God promised I'm going to send someone to crush Satan under his heel from the very beginning. And so when we understand the Exodus, I believe that it would give our Christmas more meaning. That it's not about the cups and the drinks and the things and the clothes. It's about so much more. We love to celebrate those things. I love those things. They're a blast. I mean, I got Christmas lights up. I got Christmas lights in my garage. Roll the gr- I love all those things. But it's not going to bring meaning to my life. But if I follow the one story from the one God with the one theme that God has sent a Savior, that he might reconcile us to himself, I will begin to understand how crucial and important this season is that we're about to enter into that goes beyond all things. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I want you to be satisfied by the right things that is Jesus Christ and not the temporary things that will lead to seasonal depression. Are you with me? Let's pray together this morning. God, I thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is alive and powerful and true. God, we thank you that as we read your word, it speaks to our heart, that it transforms our lives. And so, God, I pray that as we read your word, there would be something that shifts inside of us to give us a greater perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be together in Exodus 12. If you brought your Bible, open up. If not, the words will be on the screen. We're going to be talking about the 10th plague in Christmas, which would have been a good title now that I think about it for the sermon. Um, but we're going to be looking at an important term called Passover. Turn to your neighbor and say Passover. And then say it quickly, Passover. Passover. I like it. Good job. Passover, uh, it's a common term. You might have heard it. You might have not heard it. Um, but I'm going to explain it to you. And uh, just to give us a really broad stroke before we dive in is that Passover, it would be celebrated and still is celebrated as a Jewish feast of remembrance for God bringing them out of Egypt. And we're going to read about that today. And you just got to understand to begin that all the plagues have led to this moment. If you were here last week, we talked about the different plagues. And all of them have led to this moment where God says, I will not be defeated by evil. I will bring my people out of slavery and I will win. And here's the moment that we have. So we're going to read together in Exodus 12, starting in verse 1. Here it is. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day, someone say tenth day, of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. So here's the date. The tenth day is lamb selection day. I shared this on Palm Sunday. I'm sharing it with you right now. Here's what it comes from, Exodus 12. Lamb selection day. If you're taking notes, write that down. And it says in verse 4, and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb will be without blemish. Another word there would be spotless. Another word sometimes translated is perfect. The lamb shall be a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day. Someone say 14th day. When the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill their lambs at twilight. So the 10th day, they take the perfect spotless lamb. On the 14th day, the assembly comes together. They kill the spotless lamb. And then verse 7, it says, then they, meaning Israelites, this is what God is commanding Aaron and Moses to tell the people to do. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, right, 
and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. That's interesting. Notice God hasn't told them why yet. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that in Exodus this happens multiple times when God's speaking to his people? And there's this common theme. And again, this isn't super hyper important to this, but it's just important to understanding how God works. Is that deliverance comes in obedience? Is it, it, it's really difficult to be delivered by God if you still want to be him. If you still want to be God of yourself and your life and God of your family and God of your finances, but you won't let him be God of your finances, but you still want to see there's a conflict that's happening. And so a lot of what we see in Exodus is that deliverance comes in obedience. And so if you're struggling with deliverance, a great way to start is like, okay, am I, am I God or is God God? And so we see in verse 8, he comes and he says, they shall eat the flesh that night roasted on fire with unleavened bread, meaning uh, you don't have time to wait for bread to set up. You've got to get ready to go because the deliverance is happening. Bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. You, this is what you're supposed to do now as you're eating it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your, in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Eat it in haste, meaning like don't, don't be looking for your jacket. Don't be looking for your keys. Don't try to get your finances order, in order, right? Like don't try to get your family set. Like be ready is what God's saying. Be ready because when I move, it's going to happen quickly. And I don't want you waiting around in the comforts of your slavery when I've come to release you into the freedom of deliverance, right? And, and even though they were oppressed, there's just those natural things that we got to be ready. If God's going to move in your life, I encourage you, be ready. Because what takes man generations can take God a minute and a second and a moment. And so it says, verse 12, for I will pass through the land. Here, here's what's happening. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over, someone say, pass over you, and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So here's the elements, ready? The tenth day was lamb selection day, where they would go out and they would find a per perfect spotless lamb. The fourteenth day, four days later, they would take the lamb and they would slaughter it at twilight. And then they would take the blood of the lamb and they would wipe it on the, the frame and the posts. As a symbol that when death came and when judgment came, that it would pass over them because of the atonement of the spotless lamb. Everybody still with me? Amen. And so the angel of death was a sign of the judgment against the people of Egypt. And the blood of the spotless lamb was a sign of the atonement that showed these are my children who are paid for by the blood of a spotless lamb, and therefore the judgment will not befall them, the death will not befall them, but will pass over them because they are now marked to be released from slavery into relationship and dwelling with me in the promised land. And so the angel of death comes, right? It's judgment in this moment to judge the Egyptians for the wickedness against God. And we knew this was coming if you were here in past uh, sermons. Because <coughs> Exodus 4, 
22 says this. For, before Moses even goes, he says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I will say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. All of this happened before the plagues. All of this happened before. Why does he say that? That's a pretty bold claim. This is my firstborn son. If you do not release them, I will kill your firstborn son. He says, I'm going to bring judgment and justice for what has been done. You got to get some context. They were not living in ambiguity. They were living in slavery. In fact, such harsh slavery that their sons were being murdered. And so if you were a part of the Hebrew people, could you imagine the fear of having a son? Knowing that if you have a baby boy, someone is going to come to your house and murder that child for, right? To take them from you. And you would have to imagine there's a crying for what? Justice, right? There's a cry for justice. And so what God does is he brings the judgment and the justice to release his people. And we're like, ah, man, I don't really, I like the God is love part. I don't like the justice, judgment part, right? And it's always tough because I, I always wonder, well, then what, what God do you want? Now, we live in, in mercy in the new covenant. But, but in this moment, God's covenant is with his people. God's covenant is with the people of Israel. It's through the people of Israel that he's going to bring about the promise. The reason that you can have eternal life is because of who came through the covenant and died for your sins. And so here is a, here is a nation of people who are wiping out the covenant and God brings judgment. We're like, I, I don't like that, that he brought judgment, right? But it's funny because we put God in a weird little box. If he brings justice, he's mean. If he's, if he's merciful, he's absent. If he brings judge, justice against people who are killing children, which I would propose I'm not too mad about, then he's cruel. But he, and if he works in the consequences of sin and evil and brokenness, he's cruel and judgmental. But if he relents, if he is merciful, then where is God? Why is he absent? Like, which one do you want? Now, I'm thankful so much that we live in the new covenant in mercy. Because if God judged me according to my sin and what I deserved, uh, I, I'm, I would be happy to be alive. <laughs> right? Because all have sinned. I have sinned. I'm thankful that God is, I mean, there's not a literal button, but he's on that judgment button. And he, and he, sees, the, he sees the covering of Jesus, right, the blood on the doorpost. Because for me, if God judged me according to my sin, I know that there would be consequences, right? And I, I'm a, I know y'all are saints. I'm broken. So I know God, I'm happy that it's not like my neighbor or someone I'm really mad who's like on that button for me. Because I've really pissed some people off in my life. They probably think I deserved some judgment in that time. When I didn't walk with the Lord, when I wasn't faithful to God. Are you with me? But what's amazing is that we have Jesus Christ who has come that though we don't get treated with the judgment we deserve for our sins, we have the mercy that we deserve. But in this time, in the old covenant, God is protecting his people who were being wiped out. So he comes with a mighty hand and a strong hand and the angel of death comes, but it passes over the Hebrews. Here's Exodus 12. Here's what it says. Uh, verse 30, it says, And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. 
Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. This is a powerful moment. This is, this moment is the Exodus. Right, we've been waiting. I know the whole book's called Exodus. This is the Exodus. This is when the people leave. God delivers them from Egypt and from their slavery. And so God takes them out. And we don't have time in this sermon to go through all the rest of this book. But he takes them out. And he begins to lead them towards the promised land. And um, they, they struggle with that like we all do. Uh, and God, when they get to the promised land, God makes this declaration. And God shares in Deuteronomy. And he tells them. Here's what he tells them. You shall make a response before the Lord your God. He says, this is what you're going to tell your kids right here. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there a few in number, and he became a great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. And we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. With great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, had given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Israel is brought out of slavery in captivity to come into the promised land so that they might dwell and live with a mighty God. But Israel does not obey God. Remember what I said, it's hard to have deliverance if you don't have obedience. See, Israel does not obey God. They do not continue to pursue God. They turn away from God, so they're taken captive. They're taken away from Israel. At some points they come back. At some points they're taken away. It's a long history. And when we encounter the beginning of the New Testament, it has been 1,500 years, 14 generations of being overtaken and ruled and beaten down and crying out to God again. Crying out to God for a Messiah, crying out for a Moses, trying to remember the promises that out of the root of Jesse, I will raise up a banner, Yahweh Nisi, to be one who brings all nations under him, all the scattered people under him, trying to remember, calling out, celebrating Passover, the night where the, where the angel of death passed over and where they came out of Egypt with deliverance. And so on the 10th day, they would celebrate Lamb Selection Day, right? And so all throughout Jerusalem and all throughout the hills, they would be going looking for lambs. And, and so all the spotless lambs were on guard on the 10th day, right? Like lambs were out in the field drawing spots on each other, like not today. They would go out and they would try to find the perfect spotless lamb. So in Matthew, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, it's not just some random day, right? The reason we celebrate Palm Sunday is because on Lamb Selection Day, the 10th day, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. On the day where all of Israel was looking for a perfect spotless lamb, Jesus rides into Jerusalem and God says, this is the perfect spotless lamb. Matthew 21 says this. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees, palm trees, 
and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. See, as the people for generations, for 1,500 years, have been waiting for this spotless lamb who would symbolically free them from their slavery and their oppression. They were thinking national. They were thinking uh, of, of, their, of their nation and of Israel. But they've been waiting for this lamb. God says, I have chosen a spotless lamb for you. And when we look at Exodus, we see uh, with Moses, we see a greater with Jesus. See, the things in the Old Testament are pointing to the New Testament through Jesus Christ. That he's not just some random guy doing random things. Jesus is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. People say, like, well, we have the New Testament. Why do we read the Old Testament? Because everything that's happening in the New Testament is fulfilling everything promised in the Old Testament. Like, you know this is true and solid because it's fulfilling, fulfilling thousands of years of prophecy that have been given since the beginning of time. And so in Exodus, we see Moses, right, he's sent as a savior, right? Moses comes, and he, God is with him, and he performs mighty signs and wonders, him and Aaron. And what happens is Moses then tells the people, take the blood of the spotless lamb and cover the door and the post so that when the angel of death comes, you'll be delivered. And God takes his people from slavery. God takes his people from the oppression and brings them in to dwelling and walking and living with him in his glory. Now, I know that sounds like normal, like we say, we have a relationship with Jesus. But that would have been highly unusual to have God dwell amongst you in those times. Gods didn't do that in an ancient Near East context. But they came out so that they might dwell with God. But then when we look at Jesus, he is a greater Moses. See, Jesus didn't come with God with him. He came to be God with us, Emmanuel. That Jesus came to fulfill to be a greater Moses to not just free people from a national oppression or a national slavery, but to free us from a slavery to sin and to death. That no longer would you be searching for the spotless lamb, whoever didn't get the Sharpie treatment. You would be instead using the true spotless lamb that is Jesus Christ. And when his blood was shed for you and I, death passes over us. Are you with me? Are you seeing the thread? Are you seeing it from Exodus to Matthew to Acts? It goes all the way to Revelation. The thread of Jesus Christ because his blood, death passes over us. We are brought out of slavery and into relationship with the most high God. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for our sake he made him to be sin who had no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the perfect, spotless lamb, became sin for us. It's called substitutionary atonement. Those of you who are at church school, maybe GCU can impress some people in your uh, seminary classes or whatever. Maybe nursing school. I don't know if you still do Bible classes. Uh, you can bust out substitutionary atonement. I think it's a great word. It's substitutionary, right, because Jesus died in our place. It's atonement because it means to wash away, to wipe away. That Jesus died in our place to take our debt for our sin. Remember sin, I've said this before, before, but sin is when I put myself in God's place. Salvation is when God put himself in my place. 
right? Martin Luther called it the wonderful exchange. We use all kinds of words. Hillsong called the beautiful exchange. We have a, that's a great song, but all kinds of terms. The great exchange, the beautiful exchange, the wonderful exchange. It's an exchange where basically God takes all of my mess and all of my junk and all of my brokenness. I give that to him, and he gives me eternal life. You're like, I, I get Palm Sunday. I get Easter. Why does this matter for Christmas? I'm going to... I'm going to tell you why. Luke 1, verse 30. If you brought your Bible, crack that open real quick to Luke 1, verse 30. It says this. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High God. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. You're like, wait, I thought his father was Joseph. Well, this is important. It's the thread, the lineage of David out of the root of Jesse, right? Jesse was David's father. That's following the lineage of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Remember when we started this book, if you were here, we talked about the descendants of Jacob. Right, it's all pointing back, the same thread. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. In this kingdom there will be no end. Jump down, Luke 2, verse 7. It says, and she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapping him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. It says, and the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those who he is pleased. Hear me, this is important. What I love about the New Testament, what I love about where we live now, is that we have received a greater exodus. Exodus is amazing. Exodus is incredible. When you read about that mighty hand that God has, but we have received a greater exodus. See, Jesus is a greater Moses. Just as exodus is freedom from the slavery of Egypt, you and I, through Jesus Christ, have received a freedom from the slavery to sin. It's not an eventual freedom. It's not a casual freedom. It's not like he might do it. He could do it. Maybe he'll do it. It's that he has done it. He has brought the exodus that you and I, that everyone on the earth has been given access to a greater access our greater freedom from slavery. A greater freedom from the grave. And Christmas is crucial. Easter is crucial as the day where Christ rose in victory. But Christmas is crucial because it is the day that an infinite, mighty, omnipotent, omniscient God stepped out of heaven to earth. Think about that. Think about the kind of power that it takes to condense God into a poopy little baby. Think about that. That's a miracle, right? That's one of the greatest miracles of all time, that an infinite, finite God, his foot has touched the earth. That he has walked, lived. And it's important because Easter is important. But if he's not spotless 
And if he's not fully God, it's, it's a little less important. Are you with me? What makes it so crucial is that we celebrate that this is the day where the exodus began from the slavery of our sin. That Jesus didn't just come into the world as a baby because it was the cute alternative. It makes a great nativity scene at Hobby Lobby. He came because he wanted to show that I am the spotless lamb. And to show that you're the spotless lamb, you got to live a spotless life. And so Jesus came to give us a greater exodus. He is the perfect Savior to take my imperfect life, my sin, your sin, your shame upon himself. I want to go on record and say I do not like gift exchanges as a rule. I know this is a sidebar, but we need to get on the same page, people. I'm never sure what to do with a gift exchange. Uh, if there is a $20 limit, I, I, I get a little stressed because I like to really get a gift for a person. Like, I want to know you. I want to know your story. I want to, like, get something cool for you, and it's fun. If it's like a gift exchange, and it could be for anybody, uh, I just get, like, a Starbucks mug and a gift card and let all the ladies fight over it. <laughs> Because I know somebody's going to like it. And nobody wants to be that gift at the gift exchange where people are like, eh, ha, ha, cool, no, it's great. Oh, candles, ha, 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 right? <laughs> it's always uneven. I never walk out of, the, out of a gift exchange feeling like, super glad I did that. <laughs> Correct? Be, let's be honest. She just secret sanded. It's 2019, people. But I would have to say the most uneven gift exchange of my whole life came on Christmas. In that God gave his only son knowing that he was going to get my brokenness and my junk and my mess and my sin. That that's the exchange. I'm like, okay, God, here's my brokenness and my selfishness and my sin and all the junk in my life. I'm going to go ahead and lay that at your feet. That's for you, buddy. That's yours. And then he goes, yeah, man, I got you something. Here's what it is. Oh, it's eternal life. It's like. I thought we had a $20 limit, Jesus. <laughs> Giving your life, really? I, I'm joking, but, but this is powerful in the moment is that God has committed the greatest uneven gift exchange of our life in the beautiful exchange. Where we take all of our junk and we give it to God and God in turn gives us eternal life. God so loved us. God so loved you. He loved you, you personally, you individually, you as you are. He loved you so much that he took the weight of the debt of our sin and our brokenness upon himself. And he came to the earth as the greatest stamp of I love my children on Christmas. As the greatest stamp of I love you. That I'm not just sending somebody that has God with him, but I'm coming as Emmanuel, God with us. That he is God. That Jesus knows in the end that God's going to judge the earth according. But when God looks at us, because of what Jesus did on the cross as a spotless lamb, that he does not see our sin, he sees the righteousness of God. Think about that. You might feel like you're a messed up person, but when you give it to God in the beautiful exchange, God doesn't see you messed up. He sees the righteousness of God. How amazing is that? 
and I think about Christmas that we rejoice about a lot of things. We have, a, we have fun with a lot of things. And we do Christmas cookies and events and, and all these things, and it's fun. We do barbecues, and I, lo- I put up Christmas lights, a little Santa snowman, and, you know, whatever we do, we, we celebrate lots of things. We have fun with a lot of things. But if we could cherish one thing, I think it would be the moment when God stepped out of heaven to say, I'm getting my people out of slavery. The moment when God stepped out of heaven and he said, this is a greater exodus. This is not freedom from a nation. This is freedom from all slavery, of all sin, and all judgment, and all shame. I'm going to fulfill the promise that was from the beginning of the Bible. Did you know from the beginning, God promises to Eve, he says, your offspring will crush Satan under his heel from the very beginning. God said, the scarlet thread that follows it all along. And and just like my daughter, I remember my daughter watching Star Wars, and, and Luke's like, you're not my father, you killed my father, and Darth Vader, who she loves, says, no, I am your father, and it blew her mind. (coughs) There is something powerful when we look at Exodus, we begin to understand our father better, that from the beginning of time, our father loved us so intimately that he was willing to go to incredible lengths to not only preserve the promise, but to fulfill it. For you and I, and that at Christmas and in this season as we go in December, it's going to be so crazy. There's all these things happening. We've got a big outreach, all these things. But Christmas, something is special because it signifies the day the earth was never the same again. There's only one God, and it means only one time God stepped his feet upon earth. And it is a powerful moment for us to remember. We're all like the Hebrews in Egypt. We all need a, a Savior. We need a greater Moses. And Christmas fulfills the desire of the Lord to bring a greater Moses, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, to us. And as I was thinking about December, I was thinking about understanding this whole story. I don't want to wait to Easter to celebrate the victory of Jesus Christ. I want to celebrate it on Christmas, the day that he stepped out of time for you and I. Because how can it be? That we have so many things and so many resources and so many events and so many Christmas parties and people with wealth or poor people, people in the highest or the lowest position, wherever we stand on Christmas, when Christmas is over, still struggle with what did it all mean. And yeah, maybe we went to church for the first time. Maybe we went to church and, and, you know, for a Christmas Eve service because we had to pay our dues. But honestly, what does it all mean? And more than anything, I, I believe that if we can understand how God so fiercely loves us that he would send his son for us to bring about a greater exodus that's promised. Our our Christmas won't just have memories, it will have meaning. That we'll understand clearly what it means to live on mission this Christmas and with meaning because it's like, wow, God, you haven't just just right now been talking to me from the beginning of time. You've been preparing for me, Jesus Christ, to bring a greater exodus. Are you with me? I'm going to invite our band up this morning. I love that about Christmas. I love that at its core, at at its dial-down core, if you take away the Buble CDs, if you take away the Starbucks Red Cups, if you take away what I only assume are fluffy Christmas slippers, if you take away all this, if you take away family gatherings, if you take away all these things, you go down to the essence, the essence of what we are about to enter in and celebrate as a church every week is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
that there was a moment in time where God stepped out of time to change the world forever. I want to give you three things real quick as we close on how to respond to this because I think it's important. How do we respond to this greater exodus that we've received that's been prepared for us since the beginning of time? How do we respond? First thing I want to tell you, and you can write, write it down if you write notes, is to receive the gift of freedom. It's hard when all you've known is slavery. You tend to go back to it. We'll talk about that next week, about going through and getting past so that you can get out. But it's so crucial that we receive the gift of freedom. See, what's amazing about what we've received, it says in Ephesians, is a free gift. Nothing in the world is free. It always costs somebody, right? So whether it's a salesman or a politician telling you free this, it's not free. Someone's paying for it. Jesus already paid for it. Jesus paid for it thousands of years ago, and it is prepared for you. And so if you receive it, if you say, God, I I step out of being God of myself and I choose to follow you with my life, then you receive what he has already given, what has already been done. Can I just encourage you, don't live in slavery this Christmas. Don't live in slavery to addiction. Don't live in slavery to bitterness. Don't live in slavery to yourself. Don't live in slavery to your pride. Be free. Be released. Be a part of what God wants to do in your life because it's amazing. And you could have the most chaotic family situation. You could have not the money you want for the gifts, not the things you want to do, not the events, not the time off from work, not the job, not the kids, not the relationships. But if you have the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ, you have everything. Don't live in slavery this Christmas. Second thing, if you're writing down, write down, remember what God has done for us. Can I tell you, this is so key as we head into December, church. Remember what God has done for you. I don't mean like casually think about it. I mean write it down. I mean make moments. You know, I I, want to encourage you. Uh, It would be amazing. I joked about this in the first service. If we had a moment every week where we could just meet together and remember what God, wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe it was like an hour. Uh, We could have some music. Uh, Maybe someone could talk about the Bible. We could like remember together what God did and celebrate God and focus on God. And no matter how crazy our Christmas got and our season got and how things, we could just like focus and like maybe we'd worship and then Nick could be on a video or something. I don't know. I'm just, I'm spitballing here. Uh, Let's do like 9, 10, 45, whole month of December. Perfect. Right? Set that time aside. Be a part of what God is doing. Invest in others. Remember with your kids. Remember with your family. Remember with your neighbors. Remember with your small group because it's what it's all about. It's how you can get through the season and not be clinically depressed at the end. Remember what it's about. I know you've had memories. It's time to have meaning. It's time to have deep meaning to the season. That God loved you so much that he stepped out of time and space for you. The third thing, it's the only time you can do this in the history of the world, re-gift. Re-gift the gospel. You're like, that's a weird way to say it. Yep. It's the only time you can do this, re-gift the gospel. Here's the thing about the gospel. Is that like the shepherds, you and I have received some truth. And we have received the truth that God has set us free and given us a greater exodus. But the amazing thing is we weren't meant to just keep it for ourselves. We were meant to re-gift it. 
we were meant to wrap that up and take it to somebody who's hurting and say, this is for you. I want to give this to you. See, Israel's deliverance was meant to be a testament to God's power and love. Your deliverance is meant to be a testament to God's power and love. Your life is meant to be a testament to God's power and love. And your Christmas will have more meaning if it has more mission. It's not about circumstances, it's about perspective. Your Christmas will have more meaning if it has more mission because Christmas is about the gospel, not your gut, not what you can get filled with, not what you can eat, not what you can consume, not what others do for you. Christmas is about what God has done for everybody stepping out of time to bring about a greater exodus from slavery. Did you know that people are twice as likely to come to church in December as any other month? If you were ever waiting to leverage a friendship, now would be the time to do it in December. In December, people are twice as likely to come to church than any other time. Why? How is that possible? I get a lot of great excuses why people don't come to church. I mean, great's not the right word, but it works here. There's so many excuses, family and trips and events and things. There's so many reasons to miss what God is doing in the body of believers. Why then are people so willing to come? You would think that would be the least willing time. It's because people have all kinds of memories, all kinds of things, all kinds of resources, but no meaning, no truth, no love of God. And I want to challenge you today to re-gift the gospel. Not to a thousand people, not to a hundred people, just one person. Would you re-gift the gospel to one person? Just say, hey, I- I'm imperfect. I spent a good, good amount of time in slavery. <laughs> but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you what has given me a greater exodus so that you might live in freedom this Christmas, not in slavery. Let's liberate some people this December. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I know we're late. I want to pray for you. If you're with me here this morning, would you just close your eyes? Bow your head. Maybe you're here in this place, and as we approach December, it's a stressful idea and thought. One of the reasons is that you have not given your heart fully to the Lord and chosen to follow him with your life. And with every eye closed, every head bowed, as you're focused upon God, you're focused in this moment, God's beginning to speak to your heart and stir your heart. You're saying, I've not given my heart fully to the Lord. And maybe you did a long time ago, but you wandered away from him. And Jesus is just saying this morning, it's time to come home. It's time to come home. It's time to come home into the loving arms of a God who loved you so much that he gave his only son for you, that you would not perish but have eternal life, that you would be welcomed in as an heir, as a child of God. It's time to come home to him and say, Jesus, I choose to follow you with my life from this point forward for the first time. Or again, Jesus, I give my life to you. If that's you in this place, every eye closed, every head bowed, if that's you, would you just lift your hand up and put it down? to pray for you this morning. God, I pray for those hands that were raised in this moment. 
God, I pray and we say, Jesus, we commit our life to you fully. We give our life to you fully. It is for you. It is about you. God, we don't want to live in slavery another day, another minute, another hour. God, we surrender completely to you. And we thank you that you are so merciful and you are so good. And God, that you are not requiring works, that we don't have to work our way to heaven. We just got to run into your arms, that you receive us, that you are merciful and gracious. And we rejoice in that. One more thing, every eye closed, every head bowed this morning. I'm going to give you a challenge to re-gift the gospel. And if you're bold enough to say this morning, God, I commit to this Christmas season, this December, to gift the gospel to someone. I, I need your strength. I need your boldness. I need your words. I need everything. Holy Spirit, I need you to work through me. But God, I commit, I accept the challenge to gift the gospel to somebody, to have my perspective be to gift the gospel. If that's you this morning, would you just lift your hand if you're willing to accept the challenge to gift the gospel this December? I want to pray over you. Just leave it up. This is you. You're saying, God, right here, right here, I'm going to need your boldness. I'm going to need your strength. But I'm choosing, I'm committing to the challenge this morning to say, God, I'm going to gift my gospel. God, we pray right now over these hands raised. God, we thank you that you are a mighty God and a good God. You are a God of freedom and mercy and life. And so, God, as we head into this season, as we head into rejoicing over the greater exodus that comes through Jesus Christ, God, through the blood that was shed through your son Jesus on the cross, that when death comes, that it passes over us, that when judgment comes, it passes over us, that, we, that you just see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would share that truth and that gospel. God, we accept the challenge this morning to re-gift the gospel. I pray boldness for those who need it. I pray strength for those who need it. God, I pray wisdom supernaturally that comes through the Holy Spirit. God, in speaking in tongues and prophecy over those in this place this morning that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit and released to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth that no one in Scottsdale, no one in Phoenix, no one down at ASU, no one at GCU, God, nobody around the valley needs to live this Christmas in slavery because you have brought freedom. And so, God, we are committed and you see our hands raised to say, God, we want to re-gift the gospel and give it out and share the love of Jesus Christ with every person so give us strength give us boldness Jesus we declare that you are a way maker Jesus we declare that your promises are true Jesus we declare that you are faithful and that you are good and we worship you this morning